Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Thank you, Brian. And if you need a Bible this morning, the ushers have them in hand, so just wave at them and they'd be happy to pass one to you. If you've forgotten yours, we put the scripture on the overhead, but I encourage you to look in a copy of the scripture for yourself and, and look at it. Helps you later when you want to look, look back at something. We're going to continue this morning looking at God. You think, well, duh, we're at church, right? Um, we'll look at who he is, and I'm, I really am excited today about the name of God that we're going to look at. Um, it's, it's very meaningful and special to me. And they all are in their own way, but this one just has special meaning to me. Why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin there. And then we'll also go back to Genesis chapter 2 if you want to, if you're one of those who likes to prepare and you want to be ready. Um, Exodus chapter 3, which Exodus is the second book in the Bible at the very beginning. And then Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So you got one and two right there. So Exodus 3. Genesis 2. And if you were here last week, you know that we began talking about God as he revealed himself in, in Genesis chapter 1. He's called Elohim. Elohim, the, the mighty creator, the all-powerful one, the one who is outside of time, space, and matter, and yet can inject himself into time, space, and matter. Um, and so we talked about Elohim last week, this creator God. And, and how he's referred to. And you see that all the way through chapter 1, when you see the word God, it is Elohim. All the way in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, you see Elohim. Today, we're going to look at a different name of God. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, had, actually in chapter 2, is where he is born and where he grows up in Pharaoh's house and then he sees a fellow Israelite being beaten by one of the masters, by one of the, the slave masters. And he intervenes, and he stops this Egyptian from beating this Israelite. He kills him, buries him in the sand. By the way, God doesn't condone Moses doing that. It wasn't right what the Egyptian was doing, but God doesn't condone Moses' murder of him. And, but he buries him in the sand. The word of this comes out. Uh, the Israelites know it, and word gets back to Pharaoh as well. And Moses is running for his life. He has to leave Egypt. He goes out in the desert, and there he meets and begins to work for a man named Jethro, ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. They have a son. Um, and so all of this is happening in chapter 2. And Moses is taking care of sheep and just working, and he's out there. And then we start chapter 3, and it looks like it just immediately follows, but there's nearly 40 years of time between chapter 2 and chapter 3. A long time. As a matter of fact, at the end of the chapter, it tells us that after many days, Pharaoh dies. All right? It doesn't tell you how long those many days are, but it's a long time. 30 to 40 years has passed. We get to chapter 3, and Moses is out doing his job. He's out taking care of sheep. He's in the desert. He's by himself. He spends most all of his time alone, except with the sheep. And he sees something unusual. He knows these deserts. He knows this land. He's out there all the time. He knows it like the back of his hand. 
he sees a bush on fire. That's probably not all that unusual to see a bush on fire, especially in the desert. But something unusual about this bush, it is on fire but doesn't burn up. The scripture says it's not consumed. It's not burned up. And so Moses stops, catches his attention. Why is there a bush on fire but not burned up? It almost gives you the impression that the bush is still green. It's on fire, but it's still green. It still seems to have life and water, moisture in it. So Moses stops to go look at it. And out of the bush, God speaks to Moses, calls him by name. It made me think of that when, when Rich was talking and sharing, and, and God spoke to him and said, Richie, like God calls you by name that you recognize. He calls you in a personal, intimate way. He calls out to Moses. He tells Moses, hey, Moses, the place where you're standing, this is my territory. I'm here. I'm doing something. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. That's literally when he says, oh, you're on holy ground, you're in my space. You're in my territory. I'm at work here. So Moses has this interaction with the Lord. God speaks to him and gives Moses his purpose in life. He explains to him, all that's happened in your life up to this point has been leading to this point in time. My plan, my purpose for you. Moses, and he tells him that part of that purpose is I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I want them free. I'm going I'm to free my people. Moses says, there's a problem, Lord. I can't speak. And God says, Moses, who made your lips? Who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? Why are you telling me you can't do what I made you to do? And so there's this interaction that goes on between Moses and God. And we get down to about verse 13, verse 14. And Moses says, okay, Lord, let's say I, go, I do this. I go back and I go to the Israelites and I go to Pharaoh. But I go to the Israelites and I tell them, God spoke to me and said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And they're going to look at me and say, God spoke to you. Who is this God? What is his name? Look at me with me in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? We've been talking about the names of God. What is his name? What shall I say to them? Seems like a legitimate question. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's a strange name. I mean, let's say you come up to you, you know, I go up to you after service, I haven't met you before, and I say, hi, what's your name? You go, I am that I am. And I say, well, um, okay, got another name? That, that one doesn't, that one's kind of different for me. I am that I am. So this is what Moses hears, I am that I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am in Hebrew is four consonants. It's a Y-H-W-H. -H. Yeah, well, would somebody pronounce that for me? Y-H-W-H. -H. I mean, how do you, you, don't, you can't pronounce that. We, to this day, we do not know how it's pronounced. Y-H-W-H. -H, four letters. That's what he said. This word is not just used here. As a matter of fact, before God claimed it as his own, you can see this even in Genesis chapter 1, where we were last week, when in Genesis 1 it says that God said, let there be light, and there was light, the word was there is the same Hebrew word. 
It literally means to be or to become. So God says to Moses, tell him, I am who I am. I am that I am. I am who I am, and I am no one else but who I am. I am who I say I am, not who you say I am. I am who I am, not what anybody else says I am. As a matter of fact, you cannot know I am unless I am tells you who he is. You can't. Y-H-W-H, four letters. It's called the Tetragrammaton, these four letters. The theological term for it. Moses is like, what am I supposed to do with all that? I am that I am. He goes back and he tells them exactly that, what God told him. I am sent me. This becomes the most significant name of God in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, when they asked Jesus, they were talking to him and he said, I am. They get really upset. Why? Because he has just now linked himself to the highest name that they had in their Hebrew Bible. This name was so significant and important to them that when scribes were writing out the text and, and, and they, were, they were writing down text that God had given and they would read certain things, they would not read this. They would simply write it. They wouldn't read it for fear of reading it the wrong way, of saying God's name or mis, misspeaking when it comes to God's name. Over time, they took these four letters, the YHWH, they added some vowels to it so that it actually could be pronounced. And so we then developed a word in the Hebrew called Yahweh. Yahweh. It's actually some vowels from the name Adonai that's placed into YHWH. And you get Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is Hebrew, but our Anglicanized version, our English version, if you will, of Yahweh is Jehovah. Jehovah. So you start with Y-H-W-H, which you can't pronounce. You add some vowels to it and you get Yahweh and you Anglicanize it and you get Jehovah. The most common name of God in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Used nearly 7,000 times. Literally, Jehovah is the self-revealing one. The self-revealing one. When he says, I am that I am, I'm going to show you who I am. Now here's where, and I love this. This is why I love this name. Because where does God show you who he is? I'll tell you where he does it. He does it in your drama. He does it in your messes. He does it in your circumstances. He comes and he says, I am, and he feels it because Jehovah is going to be the first name God uses of compound, many compound names that he will use in Scripture. For example, when he comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to go and offer your son Isaac. I want you to kill him. I want you to make him a sacrifice to me. And Abraham goes and just before he, as he raises the knife to kill him, and just before he kills him, he sees a ram. He sees a lamb in the thicket. And he goes over and he takes that animal and he sacrifices that animal in place of Isaac. And he says, Jehovah Jireh. God, Jehovah Jireh provides. He provides. He substitutes. He brings a substitution so that Isaac doesn't die, the lamb dies in his place. See, when God wants to reveal a new aspect of who he is, he shows up in your drama 
and your circumstances. And he says, I am Jehovah, and then he shows you, and then he adds a piece to it. But when he comes to Moses, he says, just tell him, I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. And I will reveal to you what you need to know and see about me. I'll show you. I want you to see it. So he says, I am. In this, he says, I am sufficient. I'm all sufficient. You and I cannot say that I am that I am. We can say we are, but we can't say I am that I am. I could say I am, I exist, I am here, but I can't say that I am that I am. Because what God said when he said that, not only is he real and present, not only is he, does he exist, but he says I exist in myself. I need no external influence to exist. You and I cannot say that. We had to have an external influence to be able to exist. You had to have a mom and a dad. And God used your mom and dad to create. And so you are, you can say I am, but you can't say I am that I am. Because you can't exist in and of yourself. You can't exist without external provision, external resources. You can't exist without air. You cannot exist within yourself. You can't generate your own oxygen. You cannot exist without food. You can't generate your own food. You cannot exist without water. You can't generate. God can exist without anything else. He needs nothing but himself. I am that I am. And when he says, because I, I'm self-sufficient, I exist within myself, that means I am immutable. It's another theological word that simply means I do not change. Everything else, including us in this life, is changing. We are changing. Aren't you changing? Can't you look in the mirror and tell that you're changing? It's scary sometimes how much we're changing. We were on vacation. Elizabeth looked at me and she goes, Dad, there's a lot of white in your eyebrows. <laughs> I told her, I said, Elizabeth, can I tell you a secret? I didn't have any of that until you kids showed up. No, no. <laughs> we're changing. We're changing. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He never changes. As a matter of fact, for him, there really is no yesterday or tomorrow. We talked about this a little bit last week. What he's saying is, I am the eternal now. I'm the eternal now. So a billion years from now, although with God there are no years, but in our terms, so that we can try to grasp it, a billion years from now, God's already there. It's not a billion years, it's now to God. If that makes your hair hurt, it does mine too, all right? I cannot comprehend all of that. We will one day, we will be in his presence, we will be like him, and we will experience eternal nowness. But not yet. We don't understand it. Which means then God is never surprised because he's always there. Now, it's always now to God. Whether it's a hundred years from now or a million years from now, it's always now. Or in the past, it's always now. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He never doesn't know. He never scratches his head and has to try to figure out, what should I do now? He says all of this when he says, I am that I am. I am everything and all things. Reminds me much of Colossians when it talks about Jesus. It says, in him all things exist. All things exist. Paul said this when he's in the book of Acts, when he, when he went there to Athens. He says, you have this statue to an unknown God, but let me tell you about the one. And the statue said, 
to whom the, 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 all things, this, this unknown, we don't know who he is. He says, I want to tell you, I want to reveal to him, because this unknown God, the one you don't know in him, everything moves and breathes and has its being in him. I am that I am. I love this name. Because in a practical sense, you and I in our daily life could say, who is God? Well, he is I am, and then I can fill in the blank. I am strength. I am wisdom. I am provision. I am healing. I am knowledge. I am faith. I am joy. I am peace. It doesn't matter. As long as I am has revealed it about himself, then you and I can claim it. Now, we can't go making up our own stuff. I am a Mercedes in the driveway. He doesn't say that about himself, okay? <laughs> now, there may be some who want to teach that, but that's not what he said. He doesn't say, I am a Mercedes. He doesn't say, I am whatever you want and your heart desires. He does say, though, that if you, if you seek after him, he'll give you your heart's desires. Now, how can he make that promise? Because if he is my focus, then all I want is what he wants. Then he can safely tell me, I can give you your heart's desire because your heart desires what I desire. I am. So Moses, he begins to be introduced. God reveals himself. He calls himself this name. I am that I am. I am YHWH, which then becomes Yahweh, which we call in English Jehovah. It'll help you. This, this word is used more than any other name for God. Most often translated in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, Lord. And when you're reading your Bible, here's a little, a little clue so you'll recognize when Jehovah or Yahweh or YHWH is being used. It will be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see that in your Bibles? When you look at that passage of Scripture, um, the, as a matter of fact, if you take, you're in Exodus 3 right now, but turn with me over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God, Elohim, finished his work that he had done. This is the name of God we talked about last week, mighty creator. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. So God, verse 3, Elohim, blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God, Elohim, rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 4, these are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see it there in your Bible? Jehovah Elohim made earth and heaven. So did Elohim make earth and heaven or Jehovah make heaven? both? God's revealing. He's saying, I am more than just mighty creator who is distant out there, who just kind of put everything, kind of the deist philosophy. There's a God, he created everything, kind of got it all going in motion, and then he's absent. Then he's kind of vacant. He just, he takes off and takes his hands off and says, all right, do the best you can. No. He says, I am Jehovah I am Yahweh, I am YHWH, I am Jehovah Elohim. Why? Now, why is it up to this point he's just Elohim and now he adds Jehovah 
on the beginning of it. Because what's he doing here in chapter 2? God is creator in chapter 1. In chapter 2, God is interacting personally with his creation. I want you to look with me what he does. So he, 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 he defines himself as Jehovah Elohim. Then look at verse 5. For the Lord God, there it is again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see that, you're going to know there's Jehovah. There's Jehovah Elohim had not caused it to rain in the land, and there was no work, and the midst was going on the ground. And then the Lord, verse 7, then the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils of life. He's interacting. He didn't just say, oh, let there be man. He formed him. He's, he's making him, and then he breathes his very breath into him. He's interacting. He's personal. He's close. He's relating with man because man's the pinnacle of his creation. He doesn't want to be a distant creator. He's a personal God. He's up close. Not only does he create him, but then it's going to go on the Lord God planted a garden. Now he's made the whole world, and it's great. It's a great place. But in the midst of the whole world, he makes a garden. He becomes the real estate agent for Adam and Eve. All right? He literally is taking, and he's concerned about where they're going to live. Not only where they're going to live, but what they're going to do where they live. He's concerned about, oh, by the way, he's concerned that Adam doesn't have a help meet for him. So the scripture says he's going to make Eve. Now he's matchmaker. Now he's putting on why he is personally engaged in Adam's life. And he wants to be personally engaged in your life and in my life. Someone once asked me, because... I'll give, you a, I'll give you a hint or a, a technique to help you when there's high-pressure sales when you're anywhere. It, 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 it puzzles people. They don't know what to do with it. But when I get high-pressure sales, I, I look at them and say, my wife and I have something that we do. Anytime we're going to make a major purchase, we pray about it for 24 hours before we do anything. And they look and they what? Because they don't teach them how to deal with that in, when they go to sales school. All right? We're going to pray about it for 24 hours. Well, why are you going to do that? Because Jehovah is personally concerned and involved in every part of my life. And he cares about the car that I drive and the home that I live in and the things that I purchase and the things that I don't purchase. He cares about those things. You say, God's not really interested in all that, is he? Yes, he is. He's interested in who you date and who you marry. He's interested in whether you date or whether you marry. He's interested in the friendships that you have or don't have. He's interested in those things. He's involved in those. He interacts in those things. He's Jehovah. Now, let me show you what happens. Because here's the danger. God is the self-revealing one who wants to interact with you and me personally. But look with me in chapter 3 of Genesis. Just right over the next page. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God, so what do we have here? Jehovah Elohim, remember we've got Lord there, Jehovah Elohim, had made. He said to the woman, notice what Satan says, no, the serpent says, did Elohim, where'd Jehovah go? Keep reading with me. I actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but Elohim, again, where did Jehovah go? You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the servant says to the woman, you will not surely die, for Elohim knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin claws. Satan comes to Eve, and then when Eve responds, he says, did Elohim, did the Creator, did the distant God say... No, that's not what the distant God said or what he meant. He takes Jehovah completely out of it. Why? Because he doesn't care if you go to church. Satan doesn't care if you go to church. It doesn't scare him. He doesn't care if you go through religious rituals. He really doesn't. He doesn't care if you talk about God as a creator or if you talk about God as an idea, as a theory, as a religious concept. It doesn't bother him. What he does not want for you and me is to be personally related to and interacting with. He doesn't want you to know God as personal. He wants you to keep God out here as just theory. He's just someone that you know, you think about, you give mental assent to, but he's not someone you personally relate with. And so when he comes to Eve, he removes Jehovah, the self-revealing one. He removes it. And when Eve responds to him, she's not talking about Jehovah Elohim, just Elohim. Now look with me at verse 8. You think, now they've messed up, they've sinned. They're naked now, they're clothed, they're covering themselves up with fig leaves. They're in trouble, right? They're in trouble with God. And they heard the sound of the, what is it? L-O-R-D, Jehovah Elohim. Even after they messed up, Elohim the Creator wants to be personal Jehovah and to interact with them. Now, there's something that has to be done. Their sin has to be dealt with. But he still desires to personally be involved. Jehovah. And you're going to go on through the rest of this chapter and other succeeding chapters, and you're going to keep seeing Jehovah. Sometimes it will be by itself. Sometimes it will be in combination with other names that God will reveal about himself. Jehovah, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is the self-revealing one. He reveals who he is. Now, how does he do that? How is he going to reveal himself? You're not going to like the answer to this one. He reveals himself to you and me in a contradiction. Go back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. How did the whole thing start? Before God spoke to Moses, before he told him his name, before any of that, how did the whole thing start? There was a bush on fire that didn't burn up. That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand that. That does not compute. That, does, that defies everything we know to be true. A bush on fire, but not burning up. You know where Jehovah reveals himself to you and me? In a contradiction. He reveals himself to you when you're between a rock and a hard place. When you're in a situation that doesn't make any sense. You say, isn't there a plan B? Not that I see in scripture. As a matter of fact, when you see Jehovah Jireh, what is God asking Abraham to do? What is he asking him to do? Kill his son. Does that make any sense to anybody in here? That God would ask Abraham to kill his son? No, that makes no sense at all. That's a contradiction if there ever was one. 
And what does God do? He reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh. When we see the name Jehovah, Jehovah Rophe, which is God healer, do you know the circumstances of that? Where they've all been bitten by snakes and they're dying? All this is taking place? And they have to look to the snake that's put up on the, up on the pole? It's lifted up and if they'll look to the one being lifted up, they'll be healed? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that God send the snakes and bite them and they're dying because of that. And then they have to look at the very thing that's causing them all the suffering and the pain. And God says, if you'll do this, if you'll trust me and do this, you'll be healed. I'm telling you that if you want to know Jehovah, he will reveal himself to you in a contradiction. It doesn't have to be big ones. We have little contradictions every day where God reveals more of himself. Jesus made this really clear when he comes to the New Testament and he starts teaching. And he said, you've heard that it should be an eye for an eye. Somebody takes your eye, you take theirs. He says, I want to tell you a different way. I want to reveal the heart of God to you more than you understand. It's not an eye for an eye, but it's turn the other cheek. You've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. Jesus says, I want to take it a step further and say, you shouldn't lust after someone in your heart. Let's go beyond just the physical act. Okay, you didn't do the physical act, that's great, but there needs to be a transformation so that you don't lust after them in your heart. That seems like a contradiction because it seems like, well, Lord, we did what you said. We didn't, I, I didn't actually do the deed. He says, I'm after more than just not doing the deed. The Beatitudes, every one of those is a contradiction. Every single one of them. Blessed are the poor. There's nothing about being poor that we consider blessed. Poor in spirit or otherwise. Jesus is blessed with the poor. It's a contradiction. Happy are the, those who are sad. Happy are the, those who mourn. That's a contradiction. Happy are the hungry. That's a real contradiction. We're not usually happy when we're hungry. Do you understand that all of Scripture reteaches us what God showed Moses? I'm going to reveal myself to you when life doesn't make sense. That's when I'm going to show up. He's not going to show up. He's always there. That's when you're going to see him in ways you haven't seen him before. You say, Troy, I don't want to do it that way. I know. Neither do I. I'd like to, for him to show me without me having to go through all that. I'm just telling you the ways of God. That's how he does it. He did it in my life again this week. And I can't go into all the details right now, but it's just another example where God says because I'm looking at this thing God this makes absolutely no sense and he says I know now let me show you who I am how many of you have got a contradiction in your life right now go ahead lift them up high you got a contradiction in your life right now God Jehovah wants to reveal himself to you right now he does I promise you I'm not making it up based on the authority of his word he wants to reveal an aspect, a dimension of him that you have yet to see. Now, let's assume you believe me. 
or better yet, you believe God, okay? And you believe what he says. How do you do it? How do you see God in these contradictions, in these things? How does that happen? Well, you begin to get a clue in chapter 3, and then you get more of it in chapter 33 of Exodus, all right? So look in 3 before we leave there, and then we're going to go to 33. Chapter 3, Moses sees this bush that's burning but not burned up. And what does it say? It says he turned aside. That Hebrew word is very important. It literally means he let go pursuit of other things and went to, and went to investigate. Don't forget that because that's important. Now turn with me to chapter 33. Exodus 33. Now I told you between chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's an almost 40-year span. Okay, we have nearly, not quite as much, but nearly another 40-year span by the time we get to 33. So a lot of time has passed. A lot has happened. All the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and all the plagues that happened and, the, and then them being in the desert and going around Sinai and the fire, by day, or the fire at night, the cloud by day, the fire by night, provision of manna every day all the things that we read about in the story of the exodus all that god does through moses all that he's doing in the people of israel all that has transpired and all of that moses is continuing to learn about god he's continuing to see god demonstrate his power and who he is don't forget that that's important to understand that 30 years or so 30 plus years have gone on of moses walking with god learning more about who god is and then we get to chapter 33 and when you get there, skip down with me to verse 12. Moses said to the, what? Said to who? Look at verse 12. Moses said to the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He said to who? Jehovah. You learned something this morning. Every time you see it in there, it's Yahweh, Jehovah. is our Anglicanized way of saying it. See, you say to me. Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses said back to him, if your presence doesn't go with me, do not bring us up from here. Verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Earlier, he said, Lord, show me your ways. Here he says, show me your glory. There's a nuance here. God, Moses has seen God's power. He's seen God do some incredible stuff that there's no other explanation than God did it. But Moses is not satisfied with just seeing God do incredible stuff. He's not just satisfied with God showing his power. 
He's saying, I hunger to know your ways, how you think. I want to see your glory. I want to see who you really are. I want to see how you think, how you move. I, Lord, I want you to reveal more of you to me. Now, this is 30 plus years after his initial introduction to Jehovah. And 30 plus years later, he's still saying, God, I want to know more. Do you know, know why most of us don't know Jehovah? We don't want to. We don't want to. It's enough for me to know that he's a creator. It's enough to know that Jesus died on the cross and he saved me. It's enough to know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's enough to know that he does some good things in my life. In Moses, there is this hunger, this desire, and it has not abated in 30-plus years. It says, God, I want to know you more. And I'm telling you, folks, the reason most of us don't know Jehovah more is because we don't desire to know him more. Because he's the self-revealing one. He loves to reveal who he is to his people. Remember I told you in chapter 3, it says that Moses turned away from, that Hebrew literally, he turned from one thing to choose another. When the challenges come, when the rock and the hard place, when the contradictions come, when the things you don't understand come, Will you turn away from your own reasoning, your own path, your own understanding, the counsel of everybody else, unless it's God's counsel, but just human reasoning? Will you turn from that, and will you press toward the thing that you don't understand? Not so that you can figure out the thing that you don't understand. You're not trying to figure out the bush that's not burned up. You're trying to hear the voice of the one who's going to speak to you out of the bush. I don't care about the circumstance. See, our problem is, is we focus too much on the circumstance, on the problem. He says, I don't want you to focus so much on the problem. I want you to see the God in the midst of the problem. The one who's the self-revealing one. It's just like in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we throw, throw three guys into that furnace? Yep, king, that's what we did. We threw three in there. Sure enough, we can count. One, two, three. He says, then explain to me why there's a fourth in there who looks like the Son of Man. See, we're so concerned about the fiery furnace, and God says, I'm going to do a miracle and reveal myself, and I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. It's not so much about what I'm going through. It's about who I'm going through it with. I want you to bow your heads with me. Lord, would you come play? What's your contradiction today? What is your um, 
confusing place that you're at, your, heart, your hurtful place, your painful place, the place where if you take the people out of the scenario, you're left with, God, why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Why is it like this? Whatever that place is this morning, would you be willing, like Moses, to turn toward it? Don't try to run away from it. Don't try to ignore it as though it's not there. Don't try to cope with it. Turn to it and see if God wouldn't speak to you out of it. You say, how's he going to do that? You just simply say, Lord, I'm not running away from this. I'm not focusing on this. I'm not trying to fix this. I'm looking for you. Lord, what do you want to say to me in the midst of this? What do you want to say? Years ago when I got fired in ministry, actually I've been fired twice in ministry. In both of those, God revealed more of himself to me in both those situations, but not until I was willing to quit justifying or excusing or trying to run away from, until I was willing to say, you know what, I'm going to stop and I'm going to move toward this Lord because I believe you're here. Now, I can tell you in both of those situations, there were human elements at work that weren't right. That's going to be true in most of your contradictions. There are going to be human elements at work that are not right. Don't focus on that. Don't look at that. That'll keep keep you distracted. You just go back to it and say, God, you're here. Who do you want me to see that you are? God... You want to tell me I am that I am? Who are you in this? What are you doing? What are you saying? Show me. I want to see. I want to believe. Now, I say that, and it sounds easy. It's not easy, and I don't want to pretend that it is. And you may have to do that a lot. You may find yourself seeing more of who God is, but then it comes back or you wrestle through some of the bitterness, that anger, that hurt, that pain. I get that. So you come back and do the same thing all over again. Lord, let me see. Give me a clearer vision and revelation of who you are and what you're doing. He will. He is Jehovah, the self-revealing one who wants to be personally interacting with you and with me. It's who he is. It's who he's always been. The enemy will lie to you and just say he's distant and he doesn't care. That's his lie. It's not the truth.
if you don't know Jesus today personally, if you don't have a relationship with him, he's Jehovah to you as well. He wants, he desires, he calls to you to be in a relationship. You say, I don't know how. Just tell him. Right now, say, Jesus... want to be in relationship with you I want to know you this way I know I know I'm a sinner I know I've messed up I know it I own it and I know you paid for it and so right now I receive that free gift I receive you right now and Lord I give myself to you and I want to be in relationship with you. You just tell him right where you are, you just tell him. You tell him, I repent. You say, what does that mean? It means I was walking one way and I turn and walk another. I repent. moment we'll have prayer partners here at the front and if there's anything we can pray with you about anything that you're walking through a, a contradiction in your life we can pray with you about or if you want to know how to know Jesus whatever it might be we want to pray with you about these things folks I want for me and for you to know Jehovah the self-revealing God to know him this way. To know him as he says he is, not as the world says he is, not as other people say he is, to know him as he really is, how he, how he reveals himself to be. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Because I know all over this room this morning, there are a lot of hands of people who said they're in a contradiction right now. So, Lord, there is ample opportunity. You have either allowed or created circumstances so that you have a platform to reveal who you are. You did it with Job. You allowed circumstances there, and at the end, he says, I used to know God after the hearing of the ear. Now I know him after the seeing of the eye. Now I know who he is. God, you want to do that in all of our lives. You're faithful to do it. You have done it. And so, Lord, I pray for me today and all those who would have this same heart. Lord, like Moses, I want to continue to desire more and more to see your glory and to know who you are, to be in your presence, to walk in it, to have you constantly reveal more dimensions of who you are. No matter how old I get or how long I live or don't live, Lord, every day, to be able to say, if you don't go with us, Lord, if you don't go with me, Lord, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful to go. You have walked with us. You have carried us. You have enlightened us. You have cared for us and loved on us. Lord, you've corrected us when we needed to be corrected. Lord, you have been faithful, and you will be. But I want to know more 
of who you are. I want to see greater dimensions of that, that you would reveal yourself. And I pray that for each one here, every one of us. Lord, today I claim, I hang on to, and I invite anyone else here where the Spirit is drawing, I claim the fact that you are able and more than enough for every circumstance, every contradiction, every rock and hard place, every place where I don't understand, you are more than enough for that place. And in that place, you will reveal yourself to me and to us because it's who you are. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you and we give you glory. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Won't you stand?